Today we are in a relatively new sermon series entitled Better Decisions, and it is loosely based on the book by Andy Stanley. Uh, we are looking in this time of Easter contemplation, Easter tide as we call it, we're looking at the life of Christ in us and how can we live flourishing lives that reflect his newness. And uh, decision-making is a key part of that. Decisions that we make, uh, will these help us to flourish or not? And so we're thinking about ways in which we can make better decisions. Uh, Andy Stanley in his book has five different questions to consider. We're looking at four, and I'll just show you where we've come from and where we're headed. Uh, the very first question that we had was uh, the conscience question, the conscience question. We wondered about the role of conscience and uh, how it should or should not function for us as believers in decision-making. Last week, Daniel had us think about the wisdom question, how to make wise and faithful and good choices. This week, we're looking at the legacy question. And the legacy question is really the question of the story we're gonna transmit to posterity. What type of legacy will we make? Our decisions are key as we ask these questions. So that's what we're thinking about. And to get us started, I wanted to share a very famous text with you. And I want to give you a little bit of background. It's from the Old Testament. I would suggest it's the perhaps the most famous passage in the Old Testament. Uh, it is uh, uttered by, we think, Moses. Uh, traditionally, Moses, who is with the Israelites on the banks of the Jordan, actually in the mountains of Moab above the Jordan Valley. And they're about to enter the Promised Land after wandering 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses is wanting to bequeath to him, them his legacy, a legacy of what it means to know and follow the Lord. And so he preaches basically a very lengthy sermon, and that has become the book of Deuteronomy. So Moses is uttering these words to the Israelites uh, up above the Jordan River, overlooking westward to the Holy Land. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 1. Imagine Moses saying these words. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Here is the central part of this section, the most famous words in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, would you now take these ancient words and breathe life into them 
and may we be shaped by them to your greater glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to ask you, in this time of pandemic, what hobby have you undertaken? Some of you, I know, are into baking. Some of you have learned how to make sourdough bread. I don't know what your hobby has been during this pandemic, but mine has been wristwatches. I've learned to really appreciate wristwatches. I've been learning about how they're made, I've been learning how they function and are fixed, and I've been watching YouTube videos, and all of this was inspired by a watch that I rediscovered. It's this watch, a pocket watch that belonged originally to my great-grandfather, Fred Burnett Hill. I was bequeathed this watch uh, several years ago, and I never knew it could even still work, but in fact, I learned over the pandemic that it does work. And the reason this watch is so important to me is that it belonged to my great-grandfather. Let me show you a picture of him. This is Fred Burnett Hill I, and he was born in 1876, and he's the only other ordained pastor in either side of our family besides me. And he, uh, he was a very interesting man who was a graduate of Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. And uh, then he went to Hartford Theological Seminary in Connecticut and was given this watch by a church he, I believe he interned at in 1903. Inside is an inscription from the, the church, and they gave this to him as a gift. Um, and then he went on to pastor in his first congregation in Rhode Island where he met an attractive young organist who ended up becoming my great-grandmother. And uh, the two of them returned to Carleton College in Minnesota where they established uh, the, the college and helped grow it in the, at the turn of the century. My great-grandfather not only bequeathed me this legacy of a watch, but he also bequeathed me a, a descendant, a family. This is a picture of Fred Burnett Hill with uh, Gaga, Deborah, Sales Hill, uh, and their five kids. And my grandfather is the young man on the lower right-hand corner. His name was Bud, Fred Burnett Hill, Jr., and uh, so this is sort of what I've been thinking about. As I told Rupali, I said, you know, this past week I've been living in 1919. <laughs> and here's why. Uh, I have been studying my grandfather's Bible. I'll show you a picture of it. There it is. I had it rebound with my mother's help. And in it, I want to show you the first page. The first page says, Fred B. Hill, Morris, Minnesota, March 26, 19, or 1894. I determined he was 17 years old when he was given this Bible. And I've looked through this Bible, and I've learned a lot about his faith. Uh, it's been really remarkable to see. But I've learned about his faith and uh, have thought about the gifts of legacies. My great-grandfather would never have known that 100-plus years later, I would be sitting here another ordained pastor. He would never have known that by transmitting the faith to Bud, who shaped my mom and my uncle, who shaped me, that I would be here a living legacy of his. Now what's also so interesting is he lived through the last global pandemic, and he died of it. In January 1919, he died at age 42. And so I've got this very special bond with my great-grandfather right now, and I've been thinking about legacies thinking about the legacies, the stories that we transmit to our children and our grandchildren and who knows who else. That's our focus today. A legacy, by definition, is money or property bequeathed by a will. 
It's something handed down from our ancestors or predecessors. A legacy is more than this, though. A legacy is a story we tell or the story that we choose that others will tell about us as uh, we, we bequeath them the story of our lives. Friends, by our decisions, big decisions and small decisions, wise decisions and foolish decisions, we are making a story, a legacy that will be transmitted. And the question is, what legacy will we transmit? As Christians, we have been bequeathed a great legacy. We stand on the shoulders of the people of Israel. Ancient Israel and Judaism afterwards have bequeathed to us monotheism, which is at the heart of our faith, which is at the heart of our lives. They've done this in the text that we read this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. This is the center of the Jewish faith, and it is what they have given to us as a legacy. Jews try to pray this prayer twice a day. Jews allow it to shape their confession of faith, and they transmit it to their children with great reverence. Let me show you a picture of what this looks like. This is a picture of a boy at the Western Wall in Jerusalem in the Old City. It's his bar mitzvah. He is becoming a, a son of the commandment. And you can see he's got tefillin on, the little uh, leather straps that are wrapping, a little box that has a portion of the Torah scroll in it on his wrist and hand. And if you look carefully, he has another box on his forehead where he's bound the word literally to his head and bound the word to his forearm. And there he is reading from the Torah scroll, and it's either a rabbi or a family member, a father there who's with him, and you can see perhaps a mother who's over on the other side of the barrier. They have to worship separately uh, in, in ancient, or in Jerusalem. But this is so important to Judaism, so important that the Shema is, want, they want to have be their last word on their lips. As they die, as they expire, they want to pray to exhale those words the Shema. And we owe a debt of gratitude to the, our ancestors in the faith, the Jewish people, for they have bequeathed to us as Christians monotheism. They've set a high bar of reverence for faith. And most importantly, they have given us the great legacy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Out of the Jewish lineage comes our Savior, Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus Christ. Jesus was Jewish, and may we never forget that, I'm very concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism in the world, and Christians should never, ever engage in such a thing because we come from this family tree. The Hebrew faith, and particularly the Hebrew scriptures, are this great legacy bequeathed to us. And God carefully transmitted the faith down through the centuries to us, through the Jews, and supremely in his Son, Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jesus endorses the Shema, when asked what is the greatest commandment by someone in the Gospels, what does he say? He says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You are to love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus adopts this legacy. Jesus then says he fulfills Torah. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. 
I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to fill them with life, purpose, and meaning. And Jesus himself embodies the Torah. The law was given through Moses, John writes in the prologue of his gospel, but grace and truth, these have come through Jesus Christ as a fulfillment. The point is, Jesus is God's legacy of life and truth and hope to us. And this has been bequeathed to us through the Jewish people. After his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus then entrusted this legacy to his disciples, his apostles. And among them, of course, was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was very clear about this legacy that Jesus left him. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul writes there, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. Paul left them a legacy. And it couldn't be any more clear than when you get to Paul's letter to his understudy, his child in the faith, Timothy. Take a look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. There Paul writes, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's transmitting a legacy from him, from Jesus to him, to Timothy, to others who will entrust it to others. Friends, you and I are here today. You and I are watching this sermon now because of this transmission of legacies. Think about that. The church is the gathering where we receive these legacies and we transmit these legacies. Think of the legacies of faith that we transmit as we gather together. Legacies of the sacraments, of the Lord's Supper and baptism that our kids have been studying. Think of the legacies of the prayers that we utter, the Lord's Prayer, for example. Our statements of faith like the Apostles' Creed, these are legacies we receive and transmit. Think about the singing that we do, the hymns and the praise songs. It's really funny. People ask, hey, after the pandemic, are we still going to have blended worship? And I think that's a barbed question because I think people aren't sure. They, they've been able to select a traditional uh, service with traditional music or contemporary songs with contemporary service. And I don't know. I don't know the answer yet to that question. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing it's a good thing that we can share our music together right now. That young people can learn the great hymns of the faith. And that older people can feel the vibrancy of our choruses and our praise songs. There's something good about that. And I hope we never forget it. We do this transmission of legacies in worship at the church, but we do it equally powerfully through the relationships we have in the church. This is the blessing of an intergenerational church is that we can come together and be uh, transmitting between the generations our faith. What a gift that is. And it makes me want to ask you a question. Who in the church, either gathered here in this location or elsewhere across the world, who in the church, either living or since dead, has shaped you? Who shaped you? Who poured out the life of Christ into you that got you today to this point? This might be a conversation topic today for lunch or this evening for dinner. Who shaped you? 
Who got you here today? Let's consider that. We transmit legacies of faith through the church, and we transmit legacies of faith through our families. I think of the legacies that you parents have left us as children. I think we didn't go uh, to church growing up, my sister and I, but my parents left us a legacy nonetheless. My mother left us a legacy of service and of generosity that she, I think, inherited from my great-grandfather and after that. My father left us a legacy of Bible reading. We learned to pray in English and German, and we also had Bible stories read from the children's Bible at nighttime by my dad. And you're doing it now, too. Parents today, I'm so glad you're here. But you're leaving a legacy. You're leaving a legacy to your kids, not only in bringing them to the Roots class like you did, which is great, but also in the way that you conduct yourselves in your home. You're leaving a legacy. And grandparents, you're leaving a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy will we leave? Never underestimate the power that we can transmit to our children. Do you guys know the uh, name James Boswell? James Boswell in the 18th century was a Scotsman. He was a writer and a biographer. Most famously, he was known for his life of Samuel Johnson, arguably one of the most famous, best-regarded biographies ever written in the English language. But Boswell grew up as a, as a really frail and sensitive child. His dad was very strict. His name was Alexander Boswell. He was a judge. But one day, James Boswell writes, his dad took him out and they spent a lovely time fishing together. And it shaped Boswell's view of his dad and it shaped his life. And since that point, some uh, historians have wanted to figure out more about that. So they, they found the father's diary of that day. And they looked up what he wrote. What was his view of that time with his son? And he had only one short sentence. And it went like this. Went fishing with my son. A day wasted. What a missed opportunity for the father. And we mustn't miss opportunities to transmit legacies to our kids. Sometimes we're going to do it well, and sometimes we're going to do it poorly. So let me address you dads. What kind of legacies are you leaving for your kids? Let me address you grandfathers. What kind of legacy are you leaving for your grandchildren? How are you investing in them? Where are you spending time together? What will they look back at and remember with fondness? We all will leave legacies, but what kind of legacy will they be? Life goes fast. Will they be legacies of neglect and busyness and frustration and impatience? Or will they be legacies of tenderness and kindness and joy? What kind of legacy will you leave? I was digging through our church archives this past week, and I came across an old bulletin. And on the bulletin was this cover quote by a well-known preacher. <laughs> Let me read it to you. Preacher wrote this. They say that the Christian faith is always one generation away from extinction. If that's true, the way we embody it and transmit it to others, to those in our nearest circles, and even to those more distant from us, becomes crucially important. How are we leaving such legacies of faith? How and for what will our descendants, spiritually and physically, remember us?
I invite you to pray with me. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, whether they're at home or whether they're in the sanctuary, and I pray that you would bless them. I know in some cases we've left great legacies and in some cases we've been neglectful. I pray that your grace would cover all things and that you would use us to be vessels of the great legacy you have given to us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.